0: This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com.
1: But I think it's also just we're so busy, we're so maxed out, And, and I think... Slowing down creates the space for love, Mm -hmm. and when there are no margins, it's very hard to love.
2: If you find yourself with a lot less margin in your life, or you find yourself having been burnt out with hurry and hustle, and maybe you're overwhelmed at the state of the world in the last few years through the coronavirus pandemic, not to mention a whole host of other things And you're longing for some wisdom to help you navigate how we actually move forward authentically as creatures and in our Christian lives. Well, this conversation with Kelly Kapik, who is a professor at Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, will really help us unpack these ideas of finitude as God's good gifts. So listen in to my conversation with Kelly. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. All right, friends, it's really fun to welcome Kelly Kapik to the Finding Holy podcast today. We're going to talk about his recent book called Your Only Human, How Your Limits Reflect God's Design and Why That's Good News, which if you are a Finding Holy listener, you'll go, huh, I've heard some of those words before. (laughs) So we're looking forward to this conversation with Kelly. Thanks for being here.
1: Uh, It's great to be here, Ashley. I do think we share a lot of similar interests.
2: Yes, it's so fun. It is. I feel like there's been a lot of books, actually, that have come out praising Mm. our finitude, Mm. um, which is really encouraging to feel like, Mm. oh, good, I'm not the only one beating this drum. So tell us a little bit about how this book came to be for you. Yeah. And what does that look like in your own journey?
1: It's a great question. And and you know, the honest truth is I've been thinking about this topic for about 20 years. Um, but the book really came finally because it's a longer story, but my wife in 2008, uh, went through cancer and then we got through that and thought we were through the hard things Mm -hmm. and she was declared cancer free. And then about a year later in 2010, she, it is a longer story, but all of a sudden, uh, was driving, had met with some pastors about a church planning thing because she was uh, president of U.S. Medair at the time, an international relief and rehabilitation thing. So she's doing all this good work, yeah. And she called me from the side of the road saying, "You know, my legs not working. I don't know if I can drive our stick shift home."
3: Mm. And
1: that just began for us um, a journey of chronic pain, and she's mm. been dealing with pain and fatigue every day since that day to this day. Mm. And so um, God kind of provided opportunities to eventually. It was nothing i was going to but with my wife's encouragement ended up writing about pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and so what's interesting is when that got done it god just kind of it you you're familiar with this kind of thing but we don't often give up doing things until we're forced and we through this process have we're very active i don't know type a whatever but had to keep trimming down life to create margin and then i think we're there and then it's like no we're still not there. we got to cut more out. And so interestingly, it was actually after working through the pain and suffering material, I thought I really want to write about the good, the stuff I've been thinking about creation for a long time and help us all, including myself, really think through why, why it's good to be a creature and that we don't have to apologize for only being able to do so much. And, um, so that that's part of, uh, Mm -hmm the longer story of how this book came to be.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense in which you have to live, live the story before you write mm. the story. I love how the book is kind of focused on questions. Um, mm-hmm. How did you decide to to do that? Why was that important to you? You know, I'll just read a few for our listeners sure. if they're, you know, wondering what are you talking about? But you know, like, <laughs> Your very first chapter is, you know, have I done enough facing our finitude? And do I need to be part of the church, loving the whole body? Do I have enough time? You know, have we misunderstood humility? So many questions, you know, is identity mm. purely self-generated? How do our questions help us get to understanding how our creatureliness is a good thing?
1: Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I love that you asked that. I think a lot of the reason why I probably arranged uh, this it reflects my own questions. These were questions. And often one question would lead to another. I think people will be surprised. Why is there a chapter on humility and what I'm doing? There's kind of different than they might expect. Why are there two chapters on the body? Why is there a chapter on God and process? But so I I think it was me wrestling through my own honest questions, but also I'm a college professor and I love it. Students just ask part of what's great about college students is they're not embarrassed to ask the hard question. We haven't ruined them yet. Right. So they just (laughs) let it fly. Yeah. And they press. And so I, I probably do think in terms of questions and wrestling through things that probably did also shape Mm. that structure.
3: Mm,
2: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, in the very beginning of your book too, you talk about the kind of culture in which we live and how Mm. it is particularly for college students really setting, setting them up for failure. Could you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and how we've kind of inher- inherited this narrative of succeed at all costs, be productive, you right. know, you be So well rounded that you don't sleep. <laughs> what is <laughs> what does that look like in you know in the students you see? Yeah, and maybe what's the invitation to embrace our limits?
1: Yeah, it, it, this is. I do think it's a wide cultural phenomena and challenge. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I think as Christians, we're pretty ill-equipped to handle it because we've bought into a lot of it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, It is, I mean, I am a, you know, I have a PhD. I am an educator for my living. My mom was a school principal and teacher. I believe in education, Mm -hmm. but I've really come to believe that Christians have kind of um, romanticized and baptized Mm. education in a way that's a little problematic, Mm. Um, often would rather, as you say, just kind of pour so much into that and lessen character in ways that are problematic. So it it is interesting. I think most of this is well-meaning and it starts really young, but I didn't plan in my research to talk about high school or that kind of thing in Mm -hmm. college. But as I started to talk more and more publicly about these things, students, I'd have students come to me and one student, she brought me her week color-coded so Mm -hmm. I could see exactly when she's sleeping, when she's eating, when she's in class, when she's studying, when she's working. And it was true, it's just impossible. And I think it starts in high school, especially now to be fair and to be honest, it really tends to be in middle, upper middle class, public and private schools, Mm -hmm. There are other issues in some of the other ones. But we early on kind of create this culture where people, we send the kids off at seven, 7.30, they're there working in school till three, then they, then they're off to a sport or extracurricular. Then they run home and shower, try and eat.
0: Mm -hmm. And then they're doing
1: work till bedtime. Yep. And then I think we're surprised that when you're 25 or 35 (laughs) or 45, if the thought of ending your day at seven sounds like you're slothful,
3: <laughs> right? Right. Right. You know, it's yeah. like,
1: Oh, this is really, really bad. And the church sometimes doesn't help with some of that mm-hmm. through it. Um, and it's complicated with the gift of technology and by technology, I mean, things like electricity, right? You can work till midnight every day.
2: Right. For sure.
1: So I, I do think we've been, sh- we're being spiritually shaped in ways we don't know by the education system. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we've kind of uncritically bought in
3: yeah.
2: What might we do differently as educators, you know, in at least a Christian institution or, you know, as parents, you know, as people.
1: Yeah. Like I love how you said earlier, you know, this goal to be well-rounded, right. Mm -hmm. But, and I think you were kind of hinting at this part of what we need to do is say no, right. My kid's not going to be great at trombone and uh, four languages (laughs) and math and, and, and they can't do all the sports. And it is just terrible to say no, but it is a gift, right? Yeah. I mean, my I, how many times I've heard my wife lecture the kids, and when they say, "I'm bored," and she says, "Perfect." <laughs> <Good> <laughs> job. You finally have the space now for creativity
2: exactly for
1: for rest, for you know, mm-hmm. doing these mm-hmm. other kind of things, you know, go go out in the woods and we'll see you in a couple hours, you yeah. know. so yeah, i I do think it's so hard but it it does start with saying no. Yep, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I I totally agree. Yeah, and then you just have to be a well-differentiated parent enough to mm. deal with the complaints, you know, that, that follow.
1: <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I just um I flew back uh Sunday evening from uh you and I were talking. I was I was in Maine and I happened to be next to a graduate of the college I teach at.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And she was telling me she's now a graduate, she's a teacher, and she said she only graduated a year or two ago and she said I hated my parents when they would take away our phones and say, we're having no tech tonight or this or that. And she said, it was like steam was coming out of my ears. And then she said, it's the thing I'm most thankful to my parents for now. So it's this, it's so hard as a parent. And I, you know, I have a college student and a 17 year old, we were married nine years before we had kids, but Mm -hmm. It is hard because when they're saying certain things to have the courage to go, no, no, I'm, I'm trying to help in the long run.
2: Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's those character forming sorts of things that we can't quantify and and the world does not reward. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I got, (laughs) I got two middle schoolers and two elementary schoolers and yeah, we get lots of complaints about
1: no it's yeah really fun. <laughs> it is it is hard there was a there was a guy who um wrote a book on negotiation
3: mm-hmm.
1: and the skill of an art of negotiation and he actually his premises look to children
3: They're because good. they know
1: <laughs> and he said the basic principle is when you say no to a child they understand no never means no it just, just means not yet
2: <laughs> right it just just keep pushing
1: yeah keep pressuring. and uh, that helps to remember when you're dealing with kids.
2: Right, right, right. They'll be good um,
1: in business, but not life.
2: Right, right. That won't work well with your boss if you keep pushing. <laughs> um, so, you know, as we think about limits, um, how could our churches do a better job of helping, you know, create a structure or mm-hmm. discipleship where we could begin to see these things as good? You know, that we're actually a countercultural formation place instead yeah. of you know, acquiescing to this kind of keep working, keep hustling, keep hurrying sort of lifestyle that we live in America, particularly?
1: Yeah, another great question. In some ways, and this is really hard, it often begins um, with the pastors and leadership because, and in the the book, and the chapter on the church, there's a specific section kind of trying to, not, not to scold, but to encourage pastors. Because how do you say no when you're a pastor, when it's all good stuff, right? you know? Um, and it's remarkable when Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, kind of chides him for doing too much. When you actually look at it, he's saying, people are coming to Moses asking, what does God think about this? I mean, if you're a pastor, how do you ever say, no, I'm not going to come talk to you about what God thinks about something? right? And Jethro says, you're doing too much. Mm -hmm. You need other people to help you. So all that to say, I think structurally, Mm
3: -hmm. it -hmm.
1: begins with pastors being honest. I can only do so much. I can only be so many places. And for me spiritually to be able to love and serve you guys and to pray, have space for prayer and health, we all need to be in this. And most churches know 15 to 20% of the church does almost all the work. Right. So, but I, I really do believe people hate a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And we've got to, we 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 have to learn to create space and opportunity, and then not have the normal people fill it.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's so uncomfortable for those of us who want to do stuff,
3: right? Because
1: we think, well, no one's going to do it. Yeah. And the truth is, if no one ever does it, then maybe maybe we can't do that. Right. But I I think it comes down to trying to from the leadership talking about rest in a way that's mm-hmm. honorable mm-hmm. rather than as like, I'm sorry, I have to be away.
3: <laughs> right,
2: <know>? right, yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, I love the last kind of chapter. You talk about different ways in which we can actually live out our limits. You, you talk mm. about four things particularly about embracing the rhythms and seasons of life, recognizing vulnerability, expressing lament, cultivating gratitude, and fourthly to rest, to honor sleep and Sabbath, which is so fun because mm. I feel like there's so many things that we hit on in both of our books. Yeah. 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 "Yeah." (laughs) Yeah, There are
1: similarities.
2: What, um, of those four things, what's been hardest for you or where have you seen the most growth particularly? So, you know, whether it's the rhythms and seasons of Mm -hmm. life, vulnerability, lament and gratitude or honoring sleep and Sabbath.
1: I probably chose those because they're all things I've been wrestling with for a long time, you know, um, part of the vulnerability is what we were just talking about learning to, uh, just push it back against some of this, especially when we're in leadership roles to, to try and fight that. And I know people say vulnerability is not in the Bible. <laughs> well, uh, it is, it just, it doesn't use the language, but right. to be a creature is to be vulnerable. And yep. I think the rhythm stuff is important for me. Cause I'm, I mean, I did it this week. Uh, I had a hard weekend and I, Yes, you know, actually, just this morning finally made my to-do list for the week and, mm. and for the day, yeah, and realized that's not it that's not a day list. That's a week list
3: right <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and and I do think trying to fit everything into a day or a week mm. or a year rather than letting the different rhythms of life
3: mm-hmm.
1: work out. I mean, the sleep stuff never planned to write on that, but I'm in a season of life I'm hovering at fifty right right yeah. before fifty and. I wake up at three in the morning and I'm, all the worries of the world are there, you know, particularly children and spouse and health. And, Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it's been really helpful to think of those in this more holistic way. And in terms of being a creature and God meeting us. And it's amazing how much is in scripture about things like sleep and rest and rhythm
2: Are you worn out by hurry and hustle, and yet you don't know what it looks like to find a better way? Well, Jasmine Holmes called my book, A Spacious Life, balm for a weary soul, Tish Harrison Warren called it a needed tonic, and Jen Pollock-Michelle talks about it as rescuing us from the siren call of self-help. Join these women as they have experienced both their own limits and seen how my book, A Spacious Life, helps all of us to embrace the goodness of our God-given limits. Find out more at aspacious.life. That's aspatious.life.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, those are all practical ways in which we can, you know, we can wrestle with some of these questions and then not change anything, you know? And so transformation doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, We're still kind of living by the story of do more, be more, work harder.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you, I'm just curious, because you got the same, what, what for you, whether it's that or something else, what was the biggest surprise for you as you've been wrestling through this and trying to incorporate this idea of being a creature before God. And the good part of that, what, what has surprised you the most?
2: I think, you know, just realizing how much I need to create margin in my days um, Mm. of time and stillness and silence and like slowing down and, and even just paying attention about like, Oh gosh, I had three really intense conversations today. I'm Mm. past my limit, like emotionally. And so tomorrow I need to make different choices, you know, and, and, and as I look at my calendar to make different choices, because I just can't do that. Um, yeah. Cause I think I would have berated myself about, yes. you should be able to do this, Ashley. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or even just like last weekend, you know, there were several times we had a very full weekend with a lot of events and cooking and cleaning and having people over. And, you know, I just came to my husband a few times. and I'm like, I just can't, I can't do this. Like I can do mm. this much, but I can't do all of it. And before I think I would have, done all of it and then yeah. resentful and um so just even naming mm. my, my limit um and not feeling guilty for them i feel like yeah. it's been the biggest shift
1: i it's amazing how much guilt is out there i mean i i was raised roman catholic and i did a phd <laughs> on the Puritans, so i'm just cursed you know
3: <laughs> <laughs> i love it I mean, yeah. yeah this is
1: all right below the surface but um right it and and I've really come to uh, like. I like part of what you were saying there in terms of even as you were talking to your husband. I really think spouses and friends, actually, even our children,
3: mm-hmm.
1: help us. And especially as you start to talk about and think through this, they can name it and say. I mean, Tabitha constantly is like, "No, you're done." Like, <laughs> yeah, and they can see you traveled this before,
2: ask, yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. And
1: she said she's warning me, kind of like you said, you did this this weekend. Or you just had these these counseling things you've you've talked to people on these ways. You now need to turn on ESPN and just yeah. chill out and yeah. and it's it's I can receive the permission when it's given to me from mm-hmm. someone else. It's mm-hmm. harder for me to give it to myself.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, So part of it, I and kind of building off what you said, I think one of the joys is to see when it's not an individual, but you get a you get friends and hopefully a whole church buying into this. Yeah. It is a communal sport and we can really yeah. help one another.
2: Yeah. I mean, what are your, what are your hopes for the church? If we actually embrace this idea of our finitude is good. And you yeah, know, yeah. that we were wrestling with these questions that you read about in your book and, mm. and giving permission and stepping in for one another. What would that look like?
1: This may sound cheesy. My honest answer is love. Yeah. Um, I've really become, convinced that efficiency is the enemy of love
3: mm-hmm.
1: and y- you know this you ask most christians and you don't none of us want to ask because it's just too painful but do you pray and people don't feel good about praying they don't feel like they pray enough and some of it's time and some. but i think it's also just we're so busy we're so maxed out are we in people's lives where you're actually in their lives like yeah. present and you can just be together and and i think slowing down creates the space for love mm-hmm. and when there are no margins. It's very hard to love. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. my short answer.
2: No, I think that's great. I think it's exactly right. Yeah. Cause love takes time and there's mm-hmm. the, the process of it, you know, as I was looking particularly uh, for writing a spacious life, you know, Jesus is like, he's not in a hurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's not, yeah, sorry, yeah. gotta get to that next thing. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Deal with your leprosy, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> right. Put yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 I, this just goes so much against the grain of kind of the rugged individualism in what, mm-hmm. you know, in the West in America. It's it's mm-hmm. tough for us. It's mm-hmm. tough for me.
2: It is. It is because I mean, there's a the fear that if we if we don't keep up, that we'll be missing out. That we'll yep. be kind of picked over for yep. other more productive people. There's yeah. There's a lot and- of fear with that.
1: Yeah. And then it does as Christians, non Christians are feeling this. I mean, my big conviction, as you know, in the book is this isn't a time management problem, it's a theological one. Yeah. And I think what gets mixed into this is we feel guilty before God because we're not doing more. We're not praying more. We're not reading more. We're not being Mm -hmm. with more people. We're not giving enough away. We're not, et cetera, et cetera. And that actually raises very interesting questions for me. You know, what do we think God is really like? What do we yeah. think God expects of us? Mm-hmm. And when we start to actually unpack it, it's pretty revealing. Yeah. Um. And it does show some distorted views of God and, and how they're hurting us. Yeah.
3: You know? mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. What would you say is that distorted view of God, particularly just kind of this distant, slightly angry grandfather <laughs> figure?
1: I definitely think that is there for a lot of us. Um, it's something I have wrestled with at different times and it can poke its head up at any time. But also, I guess, I, I, I think it's thinking of God in terms of productivity. Hmm. And, you know, don't waste your life. Well, I agree, but I kind of don't agree. <laughs> yeah. I get the I, I love the heart behind that. But um, I have just seen that wreak havoc on families and on individuals and on churches. And it sounds good and it gets baptized, but God's very comfortable with us resting and God's very comfortable with rhythm. And, and, you know, one of another, one of the big beliefs of the book is that it takes the entire church to be the one body yeah. of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. I think navigating through the guilt of all of this does reveal certain views of God that, that are worth exploring,
3: mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so that we can be healed and, and so that we can, we can do good work and actually enjoy enjoy it rather than just feeling like it's never enough.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think also it just reveals our very thin understanding of the church, um, mm. and what it means to be a body. Yeah. What it, what it looks like to dig in, um, yeah in, you know into our local fellowships
1: so you're you're i know and you know you and your husband leadership at this church what what is this as you've been clearly something you you've written about and researched but obviously you've talked with him a lot what what are what have been some of the best signs of this taking root in your church
2: well we're relatively new to the area mm-hmm. um so we're, i feel like we're still trying to explore this this new body that we've been grafted in right but you know i think it 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 has changed our posture. My husband had been a church planter for five years and when COVID hit, uh, we kind of realized we can, we can't keep going at the pace in which we were going. Yeah, We had at that point, five more years with our oldest at home and we didn't want the last five years mm-hmm. to look like our next five years. Yeah. Um, and so it really looked like, you know, stepping away from that position, I felt like was a courageous naming of a limit for my husband and mm-hmm. her family and so, I think as we've gone into this new ministry position, we've really been a lot more free to not make things happen, <laughs> you know, yeah. and to, and to, yes, have strategic plans and vision right. and work hard. Yeah. But, but to ultimately enter into people's lives and knowing that, yeah, we can't do it. The Spirit's going to do mm. it. We can be present with people mm. and we don't have to be the saviors, which I think functionally we'd kind of, you know, easily oh, yeah. slipped into that role in a you know, yeah. in a church planting context, uh, which isn't good for anybody. So
1: the me- the messianic yeah. complex is just right there for especially those who are in leadership. We can just, yeah. it's just so seductive because it's it's good work we're doing. It's just too much and not, you know, mm-hmm. it's devaluing the church and and some of that. But mm-hmm. th- thank you for sharing that. that I yeah. think that's helpful.
2: Yeah, thanks for the good question. Tell us what you think just briefly about... You know, at this season of the Finding Holy podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about limits and creativity, particularly, and what mm. does that look like in art? And um,
1: yeah, oh, good.
2: And so, yeah, I would love to hear kind of how you see limits helping us be more made in God's image as far as being creative.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think busyness is the enemy of creativity, mm-hmm. right? And um, I know as an author. I have really learned to value walks Mm
2: -hmm. me too, and
1: time and space. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and there's, I've ended up, uh, the book on suffering took me into, uh, I've I've worked with the Templeton foundation and I work Mm -hmm. with psychologists on suffering and, and some of these related issues. And I've learned a, a ton through that through psychologists. But one of the things that we just have psychological evidence of too, is that, you know, the anecdote of, I get my best ideas in the shower. Right. There's actually data to support that, right? Yeah. And and part of it is we think just keep working and you'll you'll come up with creative ideas. Well, actually, you do your stuff, but then your brain will keep working when you're yeah. sleeping, when you're walking, and and the best connections often come and ideas come uh, when you don't expect them. Yeah,
3: yeah. And
1: so I I really have learned to because it takes courage at least for me it does it takes courage to go. I'm going to leave my office, I'm going to go Mm. for a walk. And I'm just going to think and pray and just look at nature. Yeah. And to think that's actually work. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
2: Yeah, no, I remember my PhD supervisor at one point, just kind of saying, like, okay, you know, you've got to this point in the ideas, like, just let it sit. Like, and I took a a year off after every one of my children was born. And she's like, it'll be okay. Things yeah. will be ruminating. And, yeah. you know, and I was like, for are you, you sure? <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, I, you know, one of the things that really helped me early on, one of my best friends is a painter, an artist and a professor. Um, and then another guy was an English professor. And Twenty years ago, as we were talking about some of these issues, they talked about the myth of art, where we do kind of think this great artist walks in and all of a sudden they're inspired and they paint from you know 10 o'clock at night till six of the next day and the masterpiece shows up. Yeah. And that does happen sometimes. But actually, whether they're painters or inventors or authors of books, you know, I, I read a lot of books on writing. Mm-hmm. Most of them, as you know, just kind of show up and do the work. Yeah, that's the basic advice, and wait for things to happen. Yeah, you know. Um, but I was reading through Hemingway's uh, book on writing recently, and he does talk about the importance of just stopping, mm-hmm. stop mid idea, like, so you'll keep thinking and working. And but it's his way of talking about just embrace the limit of the day.
3: Yeah.
1: So that you're ready for the next day. If you mm-hmm. try and pull too much out of this day, you will ruin the next day. Is mm-hmm. basically what yeah. Hemingway saying.
2: That's good. I like it. Mm-hmm. That's something to tuck away. I love it. Well, as we conclude, um, mm. I do love asking everybody their laundry routine. <laughs> it really, it comes from Kathleen Norris and her quick okay. mysteries and the way yeah. in which the yeah. small things are where we tend to meet God. So, and it's also really fun to, you know, people who write books and you think, yes, yeah. everything's <laughs> fully formed, but they also have to do the laundry. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, so tell us what your laundry routine looks like
1: you know, it changes as the kids have gotten older because now my son is gone and my daughter basically does her own. But yeah, I, uh, used to just get bitter about how it'd take up a whole, you know, all Saturday morning. Now I can often throw a load in, in the evening and and get it washed and, and dried and, and I'll often watch ESPN while I'm folding the laundry yes. and, <laughs> but I am someone who I want it at when the dryer ends, I want it pulled out so it doesn't get so wrinkly. Right. Yeah. And, but I do hate folding more than anything else, but as long as I can watch something while I'm doing right. it,
2: it makes it more bearable. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it. So, well, thank that, you. That and yeah. the
1: discovery of the tide pen. Have you discovered this? Yes. Oh my gosh, it's amazing.
2: <laughs> I had a good. pen
1: leak on my shirt in class, oh, no and a student a couple of years ago pulled one out, and I thought, this is ludicrous. And it worked. So, <laughs> ink
2: that's yeah. yeah so, my done best, my ink, best but...
1: laundry advice is get a Tide pen.
2: I love so. it. There we go. Affiliate <laughs> yeah. link. <in> the... And
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You should get some money from this, actually. Come on,
2: <laughs> Tide pens. <laughs> yeah. We can- the limits of our laundry routines, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Kelly, for your great book, You're Only Human, um, and I appreciate this conversation. Thank you for your, your good thoughts as well as living the story you're writing about.
1: Ah, uh, thank you. This has been fun. This, this, this made for a nice day. Thank you.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kelly Kapik. And I hope you'll go and grab a copy of his book, Your Only Human. It's linked in the show notes. And I want to leave you with one small step as you go about your everyday holy life, as we try to integrate all this information and good things that we hear on the podcast into the ordinary fabric of our days. So it's a really simple task. I want you to simply practice naming your limits. Try to name them without shame or guilt We talked a little bit, Kelly and I, about what does it look like to name our limits? Maybe we find ourselves overwhelmed with a busy traveling season, or maybe we've just simply committed to too much. Maybe we've chosen to think of our to-do list as a day's to-do list, when really that's something that needs to happen over a period of time like a week. And I want you to name your limits. Just practice naming them out loud. I'm feeling overwhelmed at the amount of laundry that is required, or I am past my point of feeling okay with all of these things I need to do. I need to go for a walk. So practice naming your limits. And I would encourage you to listen to those in your life, whether it's a spouse or a friend or children, other people who speak into your life about your own limits. Sometimes we can be blind to our own limits. We can try to work hard or hustle harder or hurry more because we think that these things are going to be the things that will make our lives mean something. But what they do is they deplete us and they don't lead to love. So I'd encourage you to one, name your own limits and two, listen to those around you, folks in your church community who are able to speak into your lives and say, Hey, I notice maybe you're going a little too hard. Take a rest, take a Sabbath. Let me know how that goes, friends. I would love to hear. You can always find me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at AAHales. I'd love to start a conversation. And if you haven't already, just a quick reminder to please share this episode and review and rate it on iTunes. It helps other people participate in these wise conversations. And also, you can always pick up a copy of A Spacious Life. It's a great invitation to learning to love your limits those good creaturely limits that actually invite us, most of all, to know God. Remember, these big things matter, but so does your laundry.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.